At Feinberg Consulting, we support individuals and families through their most difficult moments. Whether it's coordinating care for someone who was in a serious auto accident, working with individuals and families who are recovering from an addiction or mental health concern, or providing care for aging loved ones, we support families in crisis and guide them to a path of hope, healing, and peace of mind. We developed this podcast to provide professional insight into these challenging scenarios that so many people find themselves in. We hope that by listening, you are left with the reminder that you are never alone. Thanks for taking the time to check out our podcast. We hope you enjoy it. So today I have the pleasure of sitting down with one of our wonderful care managers, Karen Gordon-Rosenberg. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Jenny. (laughs) Um, We're very excited to hear from you and get to know a little bit more about your background and what you do as a care manager with the company. So could you tell me a little bit more about your professional background and what led you to this career? Sure. I, um, when I got my master's in social work, I, at the same time, um, earned my certificate in aging and at the time considered myself a specialist in aging, which is a little funny considering I was 23 and a new graduate. And I knew that I loved being among the older adult population. I was fortunate enough to have four grandparents into my own adulthood, and it was very meaningful to me to have those connections, and I've continued to enjoy cultivating connections with older adults throughout my career. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. So what exactly, I don't know if you get this a lot in your day-to-day, if people are questioning, well, what is a care manager? What does that mean? What do they do? Yes. Are you, you're met with those questions quite often, huh? Yes. To all of the above. Yes. yes. By um, by people in the community, by friends, by providers of care when I'm with a client at an appointment. Yes. The question is, who are you? What do you do? <laughs> and um, understanding the role that I play is going to look different for each person who asks the question, depending on who I am to them. So as a care manager, I am always going to be committed to the well-being of the client and what that looks like can be different for each person. So that may look like becoming what I sometimes refer to as a surrogate daughter, son, cousin, neighbor, the boots on the ground, the person who, when there is an issue to be dealt with, the care manager is the person who's going to show up and take care of business. That could look like someone who doesn't have any kids in town or perhaps doesn't have family to support them. And um, if they are in a situation that would render them needing to go to the hospital, let's say, Once they're in the hospital, the care manager shows up as a voice for that person, and I characterize it as keeping them from becoming invisible in a system that would otherwise easily lose you between the cracks. Mm -hmm. Um, A care manager has gotten to know their client such that when they are in a situation that would have them be rather vulnerable, we are their voice. We are the person who can tell the providers of care, this is not this person's baseline. This is what they normally are like. We can give the context of a person and who they are to the providers of care so that they can humanize that person in a way that allows care to be delivered in a much more effective way. And do you find that 
it's incredibly supportive to families as well. Like, can you share with us some of the things that families have told you because you stepped in and could provide that care when they've got a million other things on their mind and very stressful? Yes. Um, recently, I received a call on a weekday evening about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the evening from a daughter who is also the guardian for her father. The daughter and her two brothers, all three of them live out of town. And she called me to say that um, her father was being taken to the hospital from the facility in which he currently resides. And I was able to meet him at the hospital. He has dementia, so he was unable to give an accurate any kind of accurate history or reporting of, of any of his conditions or his medical history. So number one, I was in a position to, first of all, give him the voice that would allow the providers to start to understand what his medical situation was. As they were trying to diagnose what was causing his symptoms, I was able to provide the background of what his history looked like and if these episodes had ever happened before and how they had been resolved. At the same time, I was able to get his daughter on the phone and she was able to speak to the lead doctor and the nurses because I was in the room with the phone to call her and say to the physician and his staff, this is the daughter who is also the guardian who also makes all the decisions for this gentleman, and she's going to be the one asking you the questions now. And I was able to make those connections happen such that this gentleman was able to be cared for in the best way possible by all the people who mattered in that moment, which were the the medical team and his daughter, who's the guardian and makes his medical decisions. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's incredible, because I can imagine as a family member going through that situation, they may feel like they have to take on all that stress and have to handle everything because it's their loved one. But I mean, getting people to realize, no, there's professionals like you out there that can really help you and have dedicated their lives towards doing this. And yes. So the daughter, I can speak for the daughter and her brothers who were also involved in the conversation. They were very appreciative. Number one, that yes, there was boots on the ground. There was someone there to be an advocate for their father in a a moment in which none of them could be because physically they were geographically not here. And it was, um, there was immediate attention needed because of the symptoms that were presenting. And knowing that their father has dementia, there's, there, there was no possibility, no possible way he could have um, answered questions accurately and no way for the providers of the care being given to really know what was going to be safe protocol, given that they didn't know anything, they wouldn't have otherwise known anything about him. And these kids didn't want their dad to be alone. The last thing you want is to be alone. You mm-hmm. want to have someone by your side, whether it's to get you a cup of water from the pantry, whether it's to tell a nurse that your loved one has to go to the bathroom, whether it's to say, you know, there's a bell ringing and I don't know why. And, you know, is there something going on here? They didn't want their dad to be alone. And they were incredibly grateful to know that the care manager, that I was able to be there with their dad, and that even despite his dementia, he had enough familiarity with me so such that my presence was a, had a calming effect he he trusted me to know that questions could be answered on his behalf and he didn't become combative when I was answering questions mm-hmm. when I wasn't in the room it, it 
would have been a very different situation. Right. So can you walk us through the process a little bit? Um, Because I know one of the services we offer is individualized care, whether it's through care plans or assessments. Why is it so important that um, we take a look at every person in a holistic and individualized way? It's important because every individual is obviously unique and has their own distinct set of um, needs. And when we do our comprehensive assessment, we cover everything from, um, it's a biopsychosocial background. It's an entire history of a person's life condensed into a report from the information that I gather at the assessment that any one of us care managers gathers. And then we, when we take that information and compile it into the report, it is set up so that it's categorized in a way that's very understandable and palatable to the reader so that when you need to know a quick, you need a p- quick piece of information about someone's background or their history, you can quickly eyeball it to know that you have some familiarity with the case, even if it's not your client. We work as a team and part of how that report supports us is that if we're not, if one of us isn't the one to have done the initial report or isn't the one consistently on the case, we do have this frame of reference that we can look at to say, oh, okay, I understand this surgery was done in this at this time, and maybe this is what's going on now is related to that. The care plan is critical for um, for us to use as a roadmap when we move forward with care, because in that care plan, we very clearly identify the challenge that's presenting. So that could be um, someone is a fall risk. And then we identify the goal to to meet that challenge. And the goal may be this person will not fall. And then the plan of action lists the ways in which we will prevent the fall from prevent any fall from happening, which is um, it could look like caregiving in the home with a companion who's there 12 to 24 hours a day, depending on the needs of the client, to make sure that they have either a standby assist or to make sure that they're helped with every transfer such that they don't fall. And or it could look like, you know, you're in a home that requires you to ambulate two steps here and five steps there or 20 steps to get upstairs. And it's becoming less and less manageable to stay at home. And so the next step would be to move. And so relocation becomes the conversation around how to create an action plan that would be in this person's best interest to stay safe. Mm -hmm. So say if someone does have a caregiver in the home, would you oversee them? Yes. And so thank you for asking that. The care manager oversees the caregiving that's in the home and the care manager acts as the liaison between the family, the caregiver, the physicians that provide care. If there's home care involved, the care manager acts as the central point of communication for everyone so that A, there's transparency, and B, there's not duplication of efforts. When you have one care manager to oversee the case, it um, can be streamlined in a very effective way because the care manager has a finger on the pulse of all the different things that are happening, and rather than having it be siloed, you know, among people who aren't communicating, that the care manager is the person who absolutely make sure that there's communication between all parties so that there's always that transparency and um, and it works very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it. Also, the care manager, our role is to 
be of support to the family in a way that allows family members to go back to being family members. A daughter can go back to being a daughter. A husband can go back to being a husband. And what I mean by that is that in the disease process, whether it's cognitive decline or physical decline, things will come up that will require care that may be outside of the spectrum of what a spouse would want to do or a daughter or a son. Um, And we get to be in a position to allow the family to preserve those sacred relationships by giving them the respite from the care piece of it and allowing them to be able to be the loving family member that they always were to that person. That is so important because I've seen so many family members get burnt out from taking care of a loved one and it just, it shifts the relationship. And yeah, like you said, it's not an easy process. You want them to just be able to be there and enjoy that time with them and not have to constantly worry about if something's going to happen. I mean, even myself thinking about my parents as they're aging, it's a scary reality. And so often I feel like it's something that isn't addressed enough or maybe um, people don't prepare for it as much. Why do you think that is? And how do you think we can shift that conversation? Denial is a very strong, it's a very strong um, emotion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I Speaking for myself also, uh, as someone with aging parents and who um, also experienced aging grandparents, and um, none of us want to see any decline in the people that we love. And so it can be remarkably easy in a very misleading way to ourselves to be able to sort of slough off things, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, oh, he's fine. Oh, that's just, you know, he just, he never wanted to engage anyways. He, this is just, it's a good excuse for him to pretend like he doesn't remember something or, oh, so what? So he forgot one day. I'm sure it's nothing. There's so many ways or, you know, you get through another day. Okay, we got through another day. And, And each time that day goes by and nothing happens, or at least you nothing happens that the family member is aware of mm-hmm. um, feels like a, sort of another check, like, okay, did it. And it's another sort of excuse not to address what's really happening. And um, it's incredibly um, insidious and, and dangerous because that will lead people into a situation of reaction. And we always, in our team talks and in my talks with families, I always acknowledge the importance of being proactive in the process of aging. And even if that is a situation where you get to know a care manager, I have worked with families where they have hired us to be a care man to provide care management on a very minimal basis. They want to conserve their resources absolutely understandable. And they also know that they want to establish some kind of baseline rapport with someone that they trust and is knowledgeable about the geriatric landscape. And the reason that that pays off in the long run is because it's not a matter of if something's going to happen. It is truly a matter of when something is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so when the day comes that there is a shift in your loved one's 
disease process, again, whether that be physical or cognitive, that shift will occur. And when it does, you've now paid it forward for yourself by investing the time in getting to know a care manager who now can step in on a more, um, in a, on a more intimate role than maybe she was playing before mm-hmm. to be there to guide you and to help you and to support with whatever is next. And rather than reacting to a situation and feeling vulnerable and powerless about what your choices are and what's next for your loved one. So what would you say are some specific signs that a family member can look for? Uh, Different daily changes in their loved one? Like how would they know like, oh, it's time that I should really start looking for additional support? Trust your gut. Your gut never lies. Your intuition will tell you, it will inform you, and we get to listen to that. So if... If a loved one's mood starts to seem different than their general, it could be sad, it could be angry, combative. If there is some shift that is noticeable to you, then likely that's that red flag is showing up for a reason. Even if you find out that your if your loved one says, "Oh, I fell yesterday, but I got up and I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine." It maybe they are fine. And maybe we got lucky this time. And maybe it was a small stroke. I mean, it could have been, and we don't, we won't, again, we don't know what we don't know. And so it's so important to be cognizant of what your loved one's day typically looks like. And as things start to change and you're starting to notice small signs that either they're more forgetful or when they stand up, their their gait is not really on point or you've noticed that maybe they're not as quick to react to something that you would have expected them normally to be quicker to react to. You want to start to take note of those things and sort of um, assess whether it's you know, is there something physical going on? Sometimes it can be as simple as dehydration because people generally don't drink enough water and it can have its own effect. Um, But there are so many things that it could be. It could be from from something very small to something very big. And I'm not saying that someone needs to run to the doctor every time there's a little, you know, something doesn't feel right or seem Mm -hmm. right. I am saying that having these conversations with a care manager who works with families every day and sees an an array of different symptoms and characterizations Mm -hmm. of of what different things can look like is really supportive to a family to know that they're not alone, which is first and foremost, the most important thing, thing that people need to understand that in these situations, when, whenever we feel in any way scared or concerned about something that we're not maybe feeling confident of our knowledge in, it's easy to feel alone. And you're not alone. Mm-hmm. No one is alone in this. And that's what I love about one of the things that I love so much about what I do is, A, I get to remind families, family members specifically, that they're not alone. As a social worker, I love being in a position to support family members who are dealing with the grief that comes with the loss that can sometimes be a slow and painful process when someone is diagnosed with either 
again, cognitive or physical diseases that slowly take them away from their loved one. Mm -hmm. I also love that our clients are never alone, that they know that um, if I have a client who would otherwise be alone with no family or no support system, they're never alone because they do have me to be their voice and advocate in any situation. And um, our caregivers, I love being able, I love being part of a team whereby our caregivers who are doing the really the nitty gritty of the work, you know, a 12 hour shift with a person who has needs on a continual basis, that they're never alone, that I as a care manager am there to support them when things come up or they have a red flag with their client. They always know that they have a care manager to turn to, to know they're not alone in the field. So it sounds like if a family were to hire you as a care manager, they're not just getting you, they're getting an entire team of people that they can rely on and support. And that's got to be so comforting. And I, I also imagine that you spend a lot of time coaching families on how to deal with the stress as well and how to have these difficult conversations with yes. an aging loved one. Because like you said earlier, there's a, den- a denial, a denial that their loved one could be um, declining and also for that individual that and what they're going through. Yes. It's very, um, it, the affirmation that comes with A, knowing you're not alone, and then B, knowing that what you're experiencing is absolutely on the spectrum of normal, and mm-hmm. that, that I can be in a position to invite people into those conversations. Again, never to impose Never to impose. I am not here to tell anyone what to do or how to do it. I am here to hold their hand, assess the situation together, create a roadmap. We like to call the care plan our roadmap. It's a living, breathing document because we are living, breathing beings. Our Our needs change and we evolve on a continuous basis. And I find that is very empowering for people to know that there's always a listening ear and that, um, yes, that they can be coached and guided into conversations that they may have not otherwise ever felt able to approach because Mm -hmm. the topics can be so sensitive. And either oftentimes I can invite the families to have that conversation with me as part of the conversation, which often is the way that families choose to do it. And there are families who take the information that I share with them and then have that conversation privately. Karen, what words of encouragement would you have to leave our listeners with, whether they're in a situation and they can relate to this and they're struggling with their aging parents or a loved one? What kind of support can you offer them? First and foremost, there is always hope. I always want to encourage and enable families and individuals to to feel hopeful about the future, no matter what it looks like. Even if it means that someone is approaching end of life, there are truly ways to create end of life transitions that are beautiful, meaningful, and engaging for those who want it to be that way. And for those who would have it look differently, there are there are many, many ways in which we can guide individuals through the aging process that will fill them with hope, with optimism, with an appreciation for life and an appreciation for the present 
the present of the presence of now. Mm -hmm. There is so much to be gained in the process of collaborating and working together professional to family to create an outcome that everyone feels contentment around that that their loved one has the dignity and the respect and the integrity of life that they would have wanted for themselves especially in situations where that loved one is no longer able to articulate it for him or herself mm-hmm. right. there's always hope Well, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and sharing a little piece of your expertise. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Feinberg Consulting Podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight and knowledge into this topic. For additional information, be sure to check out our website at FeinbergConsulting.com or call our office at 877-538-5425. We're here to support you.